Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Welcome back to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. I'm Chris Reeve, and I'm your host. And today, I'm going to talk a little bit about talking about the walk that we walk in the classroom. In our virtual teaching and virtual IEP world, we are starting to think about classrooms for next year. And so are our our families. The difference, among others, (laughs) this year is that they can't visit the classroom that their child might be moving to. And because of that, it's going to become, I believe, increasingly important that teachers can share their strategies, talk about their experience, and build that trust in a virtual world, which is going to be a lot more discussion than observation. So let me talk for a minute about why talking the talk is important. Whether you're interviewing for a new job or talking to parents about your program at an IEP, being able to talk about your professional experiences has become increasingly important across education. And in a special education classroom, this becomes particularly relevant for a few reasons. The first is, if you're interviewing for a new job, communicating with administrators is important. Communicating with administrators about an IEP is equally important. And administrators often don't know the disabilities, and they have difficulty assessing what instruction should look like for some of our classrooms. And this makes hiring and teaching assessment very difficult for them. So being able to talk about why you make the decisions that you make in your classroom becomes increasingly important. In an IEP, I think it's important to recognize that parents often are not experienced educators. Sometimes they are. But most parents will not know how to observe a classroom and determine whether it's a good fit for their child or observe and know whether or not the teacher is using effective strategies appropriately. Some parents will become more skilled observers, but they may only be aware of one kind of program, uh, the kind that they had before you. So they've heard that a discrete trial program is very important for young children with autism, but they don't actually know what that looks like and being able to talk in the same language becomes important. So when they see something different than what they've seen in the past, they assume it's not a good fit. And all of that is really complicated by the fact that there are no classes in most situations to go observe at the time that I'm recording this, because most of us are teaching online, or virtually, or at a distance, or at home, or whatever it is that the district is calling it. Another reason why it's so important to be able to articulate why you do and how you do what you do is that often a classroom that a parent observes is different than the way it would look if their child was a part of it. For instance, if the child needed significant instruction in learning readiness skills, and the classroom currently had a lot of students who were included in general education because that's what their program focused on and needed to be, the parent 
observing might assume that this classroom was not a good match for her child next year. And this could be despite the fact that the teacher had significant experience with more complex learners, had an abundance of training and hands-on consultation around one-to-one systematic instruction that focused on learning readiness skills just the year before the observation. It just so happened that this year her classroom needed something different. So she did what good teachers do. She adjusted. She adapted. Classrooms should look different from year to year because the children in them differ from year to year. However, that makes it even more imperative that the teacher can talk about her past experiences, about her training, or about his decision making when talking with families. And finally, as I've noted, I think the virtual nature of our education and IEPs at the moment is going to make this even more important. It's going to be increasingly important that you're able to articulate how you teach, what your experience is, what training you've had, and what your background is more and more. Let me talk for just a minute about the importance of being proactive with this. Have you ever had a family who questioned your experience? If you're a teacher or related service provider, especially if you've been doing this for a bit, you probably have. Think about it. You go to the doctor, an expert in their field, you see diplomas and certificates on their walls, right? So do you see that in a classroom? How is a parent to know what your qualifications are or how to assess your skills? We're talking about parents who are entrusting their child's care and educational future to you. And that sounds grand and dramatic, but it is true. Because of that, building relationships with the family is incredibly important, but that can only happen when there is trust. And you can start to build that trust by being ready and willing to answer questions about your background and experience. So today I want to give you a framework to prepare to talk about these things. You can use this in the context of thinking about IEPs and getting to know new families for next year, or maybe you're interviewing for new jobs for next year. The same information is going to be helpful to an administrator interviewing you. Nothing makes an admin more confident about an interviewee's skills than them coming prepared to share specific information with them about their past experience and training related to the job that they are interviewing for. Now, I have a free download for you guys, so make sure you go to autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 38, the blog post for this episode, and you can grab a free checklist that I have for you to help you prepare. It can help you prepare a professional portfolio as well. And both, and it's a great way to share with both families and administrators your qualifications and experiences. So let's get started. If you've ever had a parent question your skills and experience, you know how hard it is to stay calm and not get defensive. At least I do. Even after 30 years in this field and a PhD, I still have to take a deep breath when families, often angry families, challenge my skills or knowledge. It happens to all of us. The key is to understand that it's coming from a desire to advocate for their child and often from what not knowing what your skills and abilities are. I've worked with a lot of difficult family school situations. Since about 1998, that was my job in consulting to schools. Schools usually called me in to address an issue. Sometimes I got to be proactive, but often I came in when the situation was already on red alert. 
and the lack of trust on both sides complicated issues and often caused the parents to lash out at me as I was trying to help because I worked for the school. Here's the thing, though. I can't say that in every situation I managed to win over the parents. I didn't. But in many or maybe even most, we developed a good working relationship out of mutual respect. That respect went both ways, and there is a lot to building it. But for the purposes of this discussion, I want you to know that first, it's not just you. It happens to all of us, and it's rarely personal to you. Two, getting defensive and upset about it is normal, but not so helpful. So you have to take that deep breath, fill yourself up with the confidence you may or may not feel, and share what your experience and skills are. If you are a new teacher or in an area that you don't have lots of experience in, then be upfront about it and share what you do know, because there are universals across good teaching. The more that you prepare to be able to talk about your background and experience, the more confidence you project to families and to potential employers, and the more confidence you feel in your skills. Hopefully these 10 tips can be helpful in preparing you to feel that confidence too. So number one, talk about your educational background and overall experience. It sounds basic, but think about it. You know that only certified teachers are employed by your school but does a parent necessarily know what that means? In addition, every state across the U.S. has different certification processes and designations. Some states have autism-specific certifications or endorsements. Some states do, but they aren't really required in most situations, which is our case in Florida. And some states don't have anything that's disability-specific. I've learned over the years that some universities do an amazing job of preparing teachers to work with complex learners like some of our students with ASD and some of our other complicated disabilities. Some focus primarily on LD kids, and teachers are left to figure out other learners on their own. So start with your degrees, and then talk about your certifications. Talk about how long you've been teaching. If you're a new teacher, talk about your training. Talk about what it covered as well as your student teaching and what you did. Also, if you're a new teacher or you're new to special education or just new to the disability or type of class, be prepared to talk about the type of support your district can provide you with and what training you will seek out to help you. Talk about the types of students that you've worked with and definitely include any awards or recognition that you've received as a teacher. Don't claim beyond what you have done or received, but don't be shy. Number two. What training and consultation have you received in your time as a teacher beyond just your educational background? If you had classes that were specific to a child's disabilities or needs, like a class in augmentative communication skills, share them. Are you taking master's courses in autism? Are you studying for your BCBA? Does your district have a consultant, like I used to be, who comes regularly to your classroom to provide hands-on consultation? include that. Have an in-district autism coach or professional, a BCBA in the district who supports your class. Include those resources. Research shows that hands-on training is much more effective at generalizing to the classroom than any kind of lecture-based professional development. 
So don't discount the time that you spend with those professionals. Don't discount the power of having a team for your classroom either. I suggest saving flyers, handouts, and notes from professional development in a binder and keep that training on your resume. I also recommend that districts keep a professional development log for all of their staff so that if they are ever questioned, it's readily available. You can't possibly learn everything you need to know about all the types of students that you will serve in your undergraduate or even graduate education. So keep track of that. You may not have a student who needs augmentative communication this year, but you might next year, and that training will hopefully come in handy. Number three, what curricula do you use in your classroom? Do you use the STAR, Strategies for Teaching Based on Autism Research? Do you use the LINCS, their functional curriculum for older students? Do you use the Unique Learning System or the ABLES or the VB Map or Touch Math or Reading Mastery? How do you individualize and choose which curricula to use for your students? If you're doing discrete trials, where do your discrete trial programs come from? If you're using a district-wide curricula, how do you modify or accommodate to meet the needs of your individual students? When do you decide to move to another curriculum? Based on what you know about their child, what curriculum might you start with? Keep in mind that your IEP is not your curriculum, and it can't possibly encompass everything you need to teach this student. Parents will often feel more comfortable when they know your process for using curriculum in addition to the IEP goals and objectives. Number four, how do you use technology in your classroom? And obviously, I think this is an increasingly important element to prepare for, given that when we go back to school in the fall, it's likely that digital elements of our online teaching will still be relevant. Knowing what online platforms you've used and how you approach distance teaching is probably going to become a more important question after our experience with this pandemic. But also you want to think about how does technology enhance your instruction, not replace it, but enhance it. Do you have students who keyboard? Probably. How do you teach it? What assistive technology is used in your classroom? Or for students who use support in the general education classroom? Give specific examples and pictures are always great. As long as it doesn't include identifying information of the students, it can communicate it much stronger. Number five, how do you support students in the general education environment? Do you have time to provide support to each student or observe at least periodically? Do you have a system like a one-man-down zoning plan in your classroom that allows you to go out and do that if that time is not built into your day? How do you collaborate with the general ed teachers who teach your students? Have you used a comprehensive autism planning system or a teaching implementation plan with your students? Consider having a couple of examples with de-identified information to share with families as a method of communicating across the team supporting those students. And I'll put links in the blog post for that, that you can access to see what those look like. Be prepared to talk about how you make decisions about what times of day you might include this student based on his or her needs and goals and objectives. This is also a perfect role for the gen ed teacher in the classroom to talk about the curriculum and how he or she has supported the student in the past. 
They can also talk about the atmosphere of their grade level and how instruction is provided. Number six, how do you take data? Share with families and administrators the types of data collection that you've used, how you summarize it, and how you analyze it. Share how you share updates of children's progress with the families. If data is a tricky area for you, come and grab the free Creating a Data System webinar in our resource library to help you get started. Or better yet, join us in the Special Educator Academy and take the Taming the Data Monster course. The whole course focuses on how to take and analyze all types of data and make it useful in the classroom. You can get more information about the Academy at specialeducatoracademy.com, and I'll make sure to put the data webinar link in the blog post at autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 38. I'll also have some other posts that might be useful for you. Number seven, how do you communicate with families? Do you have home notes that you use to send home regular information? Share what those look like. Remember that many of your students may not have a way to tell their parents about their day. Those who can tell them often either don't tell them or need assistance to talk about their day. Knowing about the events of the day can be really helpful for families then to encourage communication. And also consider turning it around and asking the parents to share information about their evenings and weekends to have topics of conversation with your students and you recognize that your communication system can go both ways. Number eight, communication systems and social skills. It's a given that students on the spectrum have communication issues, whether they are high or low functioning, for lack of better terms, what types of supports do you use to work on communication in your classroom? With nonverbal students, what types of augmentative communication systems have you used? Include both low-tech, like pictures and the picture exchange communication system, and high-tech, like speech generating devices and iPads. Consider sharing pictures of systems that you've used in the past to show the variety, if you have it, of tools that you've used. And talk about how you create communication opportunities in your classroom, because classroom communication has to go far beyond the device that the student uses. We can't just give them a device and expect communication. With higher functioning students, how do you teach pragmatics and social use of communication skills? How do you support social skills instruction in your classroom? On the playground, at lunch, in specials? Be prepared to talk about how you create opportunities for socialization since we know that just being around others without disabilities is not sufficient to teach social skills. And we actually have a whole class on social skills in the academy as well. Number nine, Most best practice programs include the use of visuals in some form. It might be schedules, behavioral support, or visuals to support receptive language. Share pictures and examples of schedules that you've used with students to show the variety that you've used to meet the different needs of different students. How have you individualized your visual supports for students in the past? Be prepared to talk about that. And finally, number 10, think about taking pictures each year of your classroom and putting them together to show to families. It's true that pictures are worth a thousand words and seeing a picture of a different class setup makes it much easier to see how your classroom changes based on the needs of your students from year to year and sometimes even month to month. 
If you made even a rough sketch of a floor plan, consider saving it and sharing it, as well as giving an overall view of how the layout of the room has changed over time. And again, this might be really important given that families probably can't see your classroom this year. So as I said earlier, I've created a checklist that you can use to check off these items and others to create a professional portfolio, to think about and prepare for what you're talking to your families about. And it might help you to make a professional portfolio with some of the pictures and examples of things that I've talked about. It makes it very easy to pull it out and share it with families. Um, Knowing that you're able to think outside the box and individualize for each student is going to go a long way to helping families, other professionals, and administrators know that you are able to teach their child successfully. Having experience with many students with this disability is great, but unless you understand that every one of them is different and you can make changes in what you do, for that helps people understand that your program is a good match for their child and that you understand how to think through the problems of adapting your instruction to the needs of their individual student. I hope that gives you some good ideas and some things to work with. You can grab the freebie as well as the other links in autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 38. I will also list some previous podcasts we've done about IEP goals that I think are relevant for this discussion. Uh, And definitely hop over to the free Facebook group and share your questions about uh, IEPs, about families, working with families and building relationships. I'd love to hear it. I'll put all of those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I appreciate your listening. And hopefully I'll see you in one of our communities soon. Mm -hmm.